Welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. I'm your co-host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, the girlfriend, Cindy. You're going to fucking hate this movie. Welcome back to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. I'm the girlfriend, Cindy. I'm the not-girlfriend, Josh, who is attempting to murder said girlfriend. And the longer we're in isolation because of a pandemic, and the more isolation and pandemic movies he makes me watch, the closer we get to it! Uh, well, bright side to this movie Yes, today, is the uh, end of Isolation Month, isn't it? It is the end of Isolation Month. There is absolutely nothing in this movie about viruses or illnesses. Mm-hmm. However, however, this movie is a fucking nightmare of a oh, movie. What movie were so, you watching? Yay! Welcome to our episode on, on Green Room. Green Room. Green Room. Is this... No, this that's is, Cloverfield. Yeah, this is Anton Yelchin's last theatrical movie released before his death. Who again? Anton Yelchin. Who is that? A, a now dead director? The, no, 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 no. He was an actor. Did you see the new Star Trek movies? No. You didn't see the ones with like. No. You'll know him when you see him. Okay. He died tragically. His oh. death was really fucking stupid. Oh, like he was young? Yeah, he was crazy young. He was like in his twenties, and he had put his car. This is as a memory. I'm not 100 percent sure if these mm-hmm. are all the facts, but to my knowledge of what I'm aware of. He had a car that he had just, like a SUV that he had bought, and he had parked it and got out to check his mail. And it was when, I think it was Chrysler, or I forget who the company was, maybe Ford. Oh, and it popped it, out? It popped and just pinned him against the gate and, and killed, killed him. him. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, not from drugs. From Not just a random fucking the, his own, oh my God. like a maximum overdrive situation. Yeah. Final destination style. That's some nightmare shit right there. How, when did this movie, uh, when, <laughs> when did this movie come out? May 13th, 2016. Oh! The same year as 10 Cloverfield Lane. Josh. And... Where you... The newer the movie, the worse I get. <laughs> you really like 10 Cloverfield Lane. I, I did. really like this movie. So it's... you Wait, you really like this movie or you think I will? I like 10 Cloverfield Lane a lot, but you liked it way more than me. Okay. Uh, same year. This is definitely more my speed of movie. Oh, Jesus. So. <laughs> Newer movie, Josh's style. This might be it, guys. Uh, I think we're recording these in advance. I will say this, Cindy. This movie is not... May funeral super scary okay. but it is super like dread tension filled okay so there's not a lot of like boo there's a werewolf there's a lot of like oh fuck like okay who's in this movie well let's before we do that oh. let's talk about the writer and director jeremy saulnier all right um well the names associated with the movie he's associated with it well he both wrote, directed this movie he did blue ruin don't know that one. Yeah. So, he's fucking an amazing filmmaker. And the thing is, he had worked forever shooting, like, he was a cinematographer and he would shoot, like, random, like, commercials and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he made a movie called Murder Party, which was okay. And then him and his best friend, uh, Macon Blair, who's in this movie, I'll talk about him in a second. He plays Gabe. Um, he was Dwight in Blue Ruin. 
He directed I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. It no, was I don't know that the one Netflix either. movie with uh, mm-hmm. oh, Elijah Wood where he has the rat tail and he wears the ninja shoes. And... I don't know. Have you never seen that movie? I've never seen that movie. Oh, that movie's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> but anyway, they Macon had always wanted to be an actor and had acted in, in like little tiny bits here and there. And they basically threw all their money they had into a pot and refinanced... Jeremy Sonny, uh, him and his wife's house. And they created and this. they made Blue Ruin, oh. which was like a, a, a relative hit. Mm-hmm. And then he got a career out of it. Like, he went all in and it worked. It paid off. And Thank God. You always hear so many times it doesn't pay off. This movie uh-huh. is his follow-up. And I will say this, Cindy, because he said um, a lot of people treat Blue Ruin like my first movie. Because it's essentially, in a lot of ways, his first movie. Um, he was like, this is the kind of movie that I would love to make, but they're not going to let an established filmmaker make this. And So he had to still do it when he was So young. it was like, he was like, it was a small movie that I could make as my second movie. Okay. And before like the window closed and they expected me to make more like... Artsy movies. Studio stuff. Gotcha. Um, because he ended up doing a Netflix movie after this. But yeah. Okay. So this movie, this movie stars Anton Yelchin, um, who died June nineteenth, two thousand and sixteen. This movie was released May thirteenth. Oh, that so, sucks. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, he plays Pat. He was Chekhov in the Star Trek movies. Um, he was Charlie in the Fright Night remake. He's adorable, and every time I see this movie, I'm like, God, that he, that sucks. What could have been? Like, he was a really fucking solid actor. Who else? Is he kind uh, of it? No, there's a lot of people in this movie. Imogen Poots is in this. She plays Amber. She was in 28 Poots. Weeks Later. I haven't Hallback. seen it. I know. Well, 28 but, Days, but um, She's also in the remake of Black Christmas. She's very British and very tiny and doing her best American accent in this movie. Okay. Uh, also, Aaliyah Shawcat. I don't know any of these names. I'm you know, so old. You 100% know who Aaliyah Shawcat is. Who is she? Uh, she plays Sam in this movie. She was maybe on Arrested Development. Oh, I do know who she is then. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, and. And. Patrick Stewart. Well, that's a weird pull. Darcy. He plays okay. Darcy in this movie. Um, yeah, he's Picard in Professor X. Right? Yeah. Uh, so send him. And then something else. They sent him this movie. I'm just going to go ahead and give you this little bit of trivia now. Okay. So they sent him this movie to read. And, and he said that in an interview when he finished reading the script, he was so terrified, he got up and he locked all the doors to his house. He turned on the security system and he poured a big glass of scotch. And he uh, was like, oh, I gotta fucking make this movie. Like, this thing's gonna be crazy. Uh, like, <laughs> I don't like this. Uh, the only other person I kind of want to give a shout out to, um, Eric Edelstein, who plays Big Justin. He is the, one of the voice actor stars of the show We Bear Bears. I don't know that. But and okay. he's also in Twin Peaks season three. And he is the guy who does the pitch perfect impression of David Lynch's voice. Oh, I've like, I've heard that because you've like, played it for me. Yeah. Okay. And anytime he does it at like cons or anything, and you hear it. It's the funniest fucking thing ever because he sounds like you would think David Lynch is in the room. Okay. Yep. Uh, I don't think we really need to go into a lot of details about 2016. We kind of just talked about it for uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, same yeah. year. 
uh, I think we even said in that episode, weirdly, I had picked another movie mm-hmm. that I replaced with 10 Cloverfield. I was going to do Blue Run, uh, not Blue Run, um, Don't Breathe. And okay. I was like, oh, fuck, Don't Breathe and uh, Green Room in the same month is too much. Uh, too much for the Cindy? That would make Cindy freak, freak out and lose her mind. The, and we, learned, that would actually, we learned from last night. Spoiler alert, that may actually kill her. So I was uh, like, you know what, I'm just going to sub one of these out. And I subbed out Don't Breathe because Don't Breathe has some other unsavory stuff that we're not really going to get into with this movie. This movie's just really violent. All right. So. Uh, okay. Do you have a poster to show me? I do. This is the part of the program where Josh shows me an original movie for the poster and I try to figure out what the plot's going to be about. And it doesn't work. But sometimes we get a funny little guess or two out of it. I'm trying to remember if I ever saw this poster. I think I did. It wasn't that long ago, right? Oh, it looks like somebody... Is that a machete? It looks like an, a dirty, not dirty, but like a frequently used back hallway of like a backstage. Very blue and green. Okay, so I'm going to say that it is about a green room for a comedy or music show, like a comedy store or music show. And... Somebody gets locked in it and goes crazy. You're sort of right. Okay. Not quite. All right. So this is a movie probably easily available on Amazon or anything. Uh, it's on right? Netflix. It's streaming oh. on Netflix. So there you go. Okay. I wanted to pick something that people wouldn't have to like pay for or like have our time track down. I have the Blu-ray, but it's not here. It's at my house. So, but we just stream it on Netflix. Okay. Join this one too. Green room. Mind the doors. <laughs> Okay, I'm with the Eight Rights from Washington, D.C. You guys are hard to find. Want to know social media presence? The music is shared live. It's time and aggression. You gotta be there. Sorry, guys, we gotta clear out. Follow me. And then it's over. Holy shit. You can't keep us here, and you gotta let us go. We're not keeping you, you're just staying. We're so fucking dead, guys. What do we do? Oh, shit. This will be over soon, gentlemen. What are they doing? They're coming. We gotta go. And we die. The longer we wait, the sure that is. Is that a pep talk? Just grab some shit, get ready to run. Here we go. I see the bad moon rising. Blood and blade. 
Careful now. I can't die here. So don't. It's fucking hard, man. Welcome back from Green Room. What'd you think, guys? Jean-Luc Picard's ancestors were crazy racists. Who would have thought? That's what you get for coming from Oregon, apparently. It's true. That's where the KKK started, randomly. Who would have thought? Bunch of crazy people who like to be alone and drove literally to the end of the Oregon Trail. There's some tough motherfuckers. I mean, you're talking about, wasn't Oregon the state that had to have the Republican (laughs) uh, state legislators had armed civilians escort them out of the state house so they could avoid a vote on something? I believe that is correct. Man, Oregon. All right. I live in West Virginia, but you're like the West Virginia of the West Coast. (laughs) You got a lot of trees. Okay. But you got a lot of like racist. You think this movie takes place in Oregon? Yeah, 100%. They name drop it, I believe. I know it was uh, shot in Astoria. The apartment at the beginning was shot in Astoria. Yeah. And then I want to say it was also shot... No, it was Portland and Astoria. And it was shot in those two places. Well, maybe that's why they... Uh, that's a good choice for that. So this movie... I'm going to recap the plot. Um, a struggling band gets a gig at a neo-Nazi party... And they accidentally witness a murder, and they have to be killed. And they fight back. That's my recap. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, how did I How did I do as compared to the IMDb? I, IMDb just threw it out as a punk rock band is forced to fight for survival after witnessing a murder at a neo-Nazi skinhead bar. Boom! And that's Nailed it. A pretty, yeah, yeah. This is a pretty easy movie to summarize it's a lot harder a movie to set through yeah for certain people like this movie is right up my alley um just like violence and killing the white guy and stuff uh i i like horror movies a lot Mm -hmm. but i also really like thrillers and this yeah there was some thrill yeah this is a very tense movie i like when the bad guys get killed violently Weirdly, weirdly, I think we've we've talked about this off mic. The my one like thrillery trope that I don't handle well that like really bothers me mishandling money is is in movies where people lose large sums of money. I'm, it really makes me uncomfortable. Like that's why I'm not a huge fan of the game with Michael Douglas because the oh, whole yeah. movie is just like when you, when they're like, oh, we took all your money. I'm like. Hmm. That was your problem with the Adam Sandler one, wasn't it? This latest. Uncut Gems. Yeah. It's you had a problem like, with that. It was all about money and him just mishandling money. And I was, yeah, it gave me a semi-panic attack in the theater. <laughs> Good movie. Don't know if I go back and watch it anytime soon. This movie uh, was fun in that you watch a bunch of neo-Nazis get blown up. And that is fun. 
Um, that doesn't happen for a while. Yeah, you have to put up with a lot of nonsense, and you have to kind of put up with the fact that, like, oh, they probably really are this organized, and they probably really do have, like, family game nights because they think that, like, they're right. Um, yeah. Well, let's let's delve into that for a second. Yeah. Of, I mean, normally we kind of wait a little bit to talk about some of the subtextual stuff of this movie. There's nothing subtextual about it. I think there is. Okay. A little. Um, And there's two things I kind of wanted to talk to you about, and you kind of hit the nail on on the head on this one, and I kind of wanted to just go ahead and get this out of the way now. Now, do we need to, before you start this, remind everyone that we are Caucasian, right? Like, are are we about to do a, you know... I'm glad the white guys kind of got blown up because they're awful spiel. No, no. Okay, never mind I mean, then. I don't endorse neo-Nazis, Nazis, skinheads, or any of those types of people, but I was going to start out by just saying there are horror movies where people make stupid fucking decisions, mm-hmm. right? And it's not believable. Right. It's, or, why or would you do that? Like, why are you getting a shower in this random house? Yeah. Like, yeah. All of the stupid fucking decisions totally, the band members in this movie yeah. make, I buy. Yeah, they're totally human. Like, I totally get, oh, fuck, go back for my phone. Sorry, man. Oh, it's all right. Yeah, it's just like a random like occurrence. And then once it happens, and I think that's, the to me, the subtext of this movie, which is, this movie came out in 2015. It is now 2020. Correct. We're at the hopefully tail end of Wave one of the Trump. pandemic. Not even the pandemic, just Trump and everything that 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 word has come to entail. Yeah. You know, neo-Nazis marching in cities and... It's so insane. All that, you know, going back to the Virginia business and whatnot. But It makes me, me so happy that my friends and I are all raising white male identifying children that are empathetic and sympathetic and hate racist like it makes me feel like fuck yeah like we're doing our part we're playing you know there are empathy and smart out there there are always those people out there Mm -hmm. right the thing that is scary about this movie to me and i think is very telling about where we're at in politics in this country is the well-meaning liberals mm-hmm. of the movie, like the young punk band, yeah. are super individual and they're cool. One of them's Jewish. And they like, you know, they like to press buttons. Like yeah. they play Nazi punks fuck off in front of the Nazis. And, and you know, they're, punks. they're, they're punks, but they're fun. And they're, you know, they just have a... cool young liberals yeah. out on the town, traveling around, getting in adventures. And then the fucking neo-Nazis are Organized, mm-hmm. and they are all on Higher the same real trained, right? They are prepared for this sort of thing to happen. They have a plan with a plan with a plan. So this movie came out in two thousand fifteen. The mm-hmm. following year, when we had the election, does it kind of remind you a little bit of that? A little of like you know, oh well, we're Democrats and we welcome everybody, which is great. But then there's no like ethos and there's, there's 50 no, different people that are we're all individual my friends and we're all that going are directions my friends that are uh in my, my international friends i'll put it that way it it's so mind-boggling to them to think that someone like bernie sanders and someone like joe biden are on the same side do you know what i mean like when you 
you know, from a totally objective, they don't have a dog in this fight sort of a thing looking at us. Like, how are they in the same side? And how are they not? Like, yeah, yeah, because it isn't. Because it's just a whole lot of old white men that are, they haven't fed the beast. Like, they haven't, there's, mm, I, I can't get started. Let's. Well, let's uh, go back to the last pre-Trump big Republican name that ran for president in my mind is John McCain. Oh, yeah. Right? I like, almost, I love John McCain. I'm not a big fan. I'm personally, like, you know, there are things he did that are cool and things he did that are not cool. Mm-hmm. There's this whole military service record. There's I have whatnot. such a soft spot but for he's a his heroism. He's a Republican. He I was know, always a Republican. But so is Abraham Lincoln. Well, hold on. Uh-huh. Stay with me. Don't try to jump ahead on this. Okay. I'm already on the defensive. <laughs> I, there are a lot of things I don't like about John McCain policy-wise. Mm-hmm. But John McCain was never out there fomenting, like, racial hatred. Oh, racial no, no. Divide, yeah. Right? I see what you're getting at. And after the, like, yay, like, landslide of Obama twice, mm-hmm. that was how a certain part of the Republican Party was like, here's how we win. We go out to, to get play dirty. We, you know what? Organize, organize, organize. There, um, if you look at history, if you take names out, they literally that they did the playbook. Um, it's how they got Ronald Reagan into office as well. We were born. Um, I was born, you know, right at 1980. You went like already into his presidency, but um, he was kind of a minor celebrity, but he was really charismatic. He was, um, I don't mean to speak ill of the dead, and... I will fuck Ronald Reagan. But he was kind of dumb, and he Worst was kind of a pushover. ever. And his wife, um, who I have read in multiple biographies of Hollywood, was known to give a pretty good blowjob. Um, but she was raised to be, you know, like she knew how to be polite. Like, they knew how to do this image. And so... Um, he was bought and they've got him to be a president and he was just a figurehead and the big corporations, um, Ronald Reagan used to work for Ford. He was their like face. So guess who ran America for those eight years? Do you know what I mean? And so they lost in Obama. Exactly. So they just took a page from the playbook. Let's take somebody we already own. Let's take somebody who's kind of dumb. Put somebody up there who has character, and we'll let the corporations do what they've he's, always done he's since seventeen seventy six. He's the Diet Coke version of Reagan. Truly um, is, you know. Except COVID nineteen is his AIDS epidemic. But and the thing that scares me about this movie, and you know, people say like, you know, this is more of a thriller than a horror movie. And I think the thing that's scary about this movie is how real it how, is. Not only is it very real. But how often, how many elections, how many, like, times do we have to see, like, the leftists, the the liberals all being like, you know, we're holding signs and we're like, da-da-da, and, you know, we're all individuals, but then... You the, other the other side, side of the street is and organized and uniformed. trained and yeah uniformed and it's like oh my gosh and and they're always on the same page like the NRA is such a small numbers wise percentage of this country mm-hmm. yet they have so much power because though they fucking are mobilized yeah like, they're prepared they're 
Yeah. And that's that's kind of what this movie was about. Was like, okay, you've just had uh, one person witness a murder. It's now become a much bigger issue. Okay, we're going to go to code, blah, blah, blah. Grab these guys. We're going to do this. Make sure you pull this over here. That Like, they, okay. And was totally calm while they did it. They had a plan for it. They were ready to go. It's that whole doomsday philosophy yeah. that you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I think what America needs is there is, in my heart, there's about 40% of America who are truly centrists and are truly just like, yeah, I mean, own a gun, but there's no need for an AK-47. There's no need for this kind of bump stock things. Uh, yeah, you know, like, just, we're just kind of doing our thing. Like, keep what happens between a doctor and a patient, between a doctor and a patient. Keep what happened, like, eh. And I think that those people need to be a little more vocal and kind of come together a little bit more. And there's got to be a third party in there somewhere. Well, not just that. I mean, I you look at these kids in this movie, like, you know, your red lace kids. Mm-hmm. And your kids aiming for the red laces. And I don't know if anyone knows what red laces mean. Well, I can explain that. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey in the uh, 90s. And the Atlantic City Skinheads was a very big deal. Um, I grew up in um, right on the border between Camden and Burlington County. So it's kind of south central New Jersey, you know. So there is a lot of, uh, you know, you get to middle and high school parties, you know, and people's friends come from other counties and things like that. Um, You just kind of knew. So some of the little codes that the Atlantic City skinheads did. Um, you'd have combat boots with white laces and red laces was kind of meant you were a little more serious about it, I think. At least that's kind of in my memory. I only know because it was one of those things you're kind of warned against and talked about. Um, and in this movie, the red laces are the people who have been trained. They're kind of part of the inner circle, so to speak. Well, traditionally in, in these movements, red laces means that you have shed blood for the movement. Yeah, there you go. Um, usually by physically assaulting a non-white person. It's, yeah. I mean, gangs have their own symbols, right? You know, like Bloods and Crips have their five-pointed stars and four and six-pointed stars and red and blue. ACS is the same way. Hatred, you know, it's all there. It's, you know, from a socioeconomic professional standpoint, it's a group. It's a lost group, a lost generation, a lost group of kids that don't have any structure in their life. And and that brings us to a point I honestly didn't think we'd be talking about, but I, I want to talk about, which is at what point do you stop feeling bad for someone and start acknowledging the fact that they're a monster now? Like, clearly, uh, Patrick Stewart's character is a monster. Right. Right? He has organized this, like, Jean-Luc Picard's five times great-grandfather. Fucking, like, a hate group militia mm-hmm. out of these disaffected youth who, judging by the area, don't have a lot. So at what point do we yeah, stop feeling... rural? I can't stop feeling word. bad for these kids I and start going, oh, you've crossed the line from like, is you it, know, you're a child with no prospects and no family and no friends to, well, you're just a fucking evil soldier now. Like, where is that line drawn? I th- wow. That's a great question. Is it, is it when blood spilled? Is it when as soon as they become violent? 
or is it when they first want to become violent or I, I don't know I don't know um I know that I am uh I've been in my profession for a very long time and I have never in all my years seen someone who is in an organized gang I've never seen it end well it never ends well there is no out you know like what's the point you want to be you want to be you know an old homie you want to be the old guy sitting there because they're usually the creeps and they usually don't live very long and some of them are, have some you know handicaps because they've been hurt and nobody wants to take care of them when they're that old oh but your family but are you really how are they gonna you know and or you go to prison or you get out somehow or i mean or you die or right like it never ends well it's the same way with white supremacist it never ends well it doesn't period and i think the dumbasses the the thing i like the most about this movie and why i really like it and the more i watch it the more i really think about it is the beginning of the movie are these carefree like punk kids in a band living young adult lives then they somehow get thrown in with they're part of the scene like the underground scene they get thrown in with these neo-nazis and shit gets real and then they have to essentially adopt the same not the same ethos but the same methods of the neo-nazis and then turn them against them right and then by the end of the movie like, we go from the kids being scared, like Anton Yelchin gets his arm fucking cut up graphically in this movie. By the end of the movie, whenever they go, they choose to, when they escape the green room and the, the bar, they choose to go to the farmhouse and deal with the head neo-Nazis. Right. And when they go there, the roles are reversed. It's... The guy who runs the dogs, and it's Darcy, uh, Patrick Stewart's character, mm-hmm. who's afraid. Like, he turns around and, like, just walks away from him. Because, yeah. like, when they confront him, in the daylight. And right. I think that's the most important thing about it. It's bright daylight. Because the whole movie takes place in a dark warehouse and then at night. Yeah. And like, now it's dawn. And I think Anton Yelchin's exact line to him is, you were so scary in the, at night. Like. Yeah. And you're not. You know, in the daytime, you're not. Like, Mm-mm. this, these people, these, like, little, for lack of a better term, like, dictators or, like, yeah. these guys who create their little, you know. Who think that they're such tough shit. Supremacy groups are powerful when people are around them believing in it, but when they're by themselves, they're not. Yeah. Who was the, um, and I wish I could remember his name. The, the alt-right guy who got punched in the face at the Trump inauguration? Like, oh, I don't know, but I remember that a you're, lot. You're only, you know... Yes. Who was that? Well, anywho. And and I think that is what this movie's about. And I know that Jeremy Saulnier wanted to make it because he had this fascination with making a thriller set in a green room, and he wanted to do it after Blue Ruin because... Blue Ruin had been a surprising hit, and he wanted he got money to make another movie, and, was and he like, wanted to do it. Do th- this was kind of if his I don't do project. this now, this will never happen because I'll go on to maybe bigger things, and I won't be able to go back to this and do kind of an artsy with a message, like this small like. It's interesting thriller. because for being uh, this movie, it does kind of fit the archive formula, doesn't it? I think it does, except for like. 
Well, here, here we go. Let's let's delve into it. One or two steps. So Samuel Ziarkov was an exploitation producer, uh, kind of jack of all trades, who created an anagram. Is that what that is? Right? For his using his last name of the uh, six things a movie would need to be an exploitation movie and be I thought, successful. I thought an anagram was like you mixed the letters. Yeah, up. maybe it's not an anagram. Yeah, I, I'm a teacher. I should know this. I have pandemic Please. brain. Yeah, we've been walked <laughs> pandemic away for brain. a while okay. watching movies like Green Room. <laughs> yeah. All right. A for Arkov action. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of action, even before it gets violent. I mean, they're a punk band, so there's like the thrashing and all that, and there's that scene. It is Connecticut does move, and Mm -hmm. like the thing about the violence in this movie is it is very real. Like it's very inherent. You said at the top of the episode, well, the this back half, you know, after coming back from the movie, that you were pumped about all of the Nazi deaths. Yeah, but like watching the movie, there were scenes where you would freak out mm-hmm. like when she gutted big justice yeah with the knife like yep you didn't handle he filleted her well. or she filleted him um like she runs the knife up his stomach and he just spills spills out, out. that was foul so the violence in this is real mm-hmm. and there's there's consequences kind and of, stakes yeah i think that's it there's yeah it doesn't it's not just violence for violence sake it's they act in a way that you want to like you want to hit them you want to have them die violently kind of a thing yeah like watching the violence happen it's not something where like this is pretty cool like watching freddy krueger like carve someone up or jason cuts one half the machete like watching one of these kids get mauled by a dog spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie Mm -hmm. isn't fucking fun (laughs) like like I, I, the violence in this movie is done in such a visceral way, I feel it. Well, because you think, you're like, fuck them, they deserve to die. Oh, God, oh, they're dying. That's not, oh, okay. Even the kids. It kind of like, gives you, like, is, is this what you wanted? Um, are revolutionary. Yes, this was, who, it, it's, it's hard to, um, it takes such a turn, you know what I mean? Like it starts off so lighthearted, and then it becomes like, oh, okay, so it's like a Nazi thing. Okay, oh, it's a murder thing. I mean, and then once you're there, you're in it. Uh, this movie moves like a freight train. It's just it's fast. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Fast and hard. K killing. Yeah, lots of it. Lots of killings. That's easy. O oratories. I don't really remember what he said, but when Patrick Stewart's character, Darcy, a.k.a. Jean-Luc Picard's five-times great-grandfather, um, he kind of gets up and he gives this little speech. And he's so calm. And he's like, hey, everybody, I'm sorry. We've blown a generator. We're going to have to end the party early. I know. I'm glad everyone had fun. Please make sure to clean up after yourselves. The seminar on ancestry is still on for seven p.m. Was, tomorrow. But you know what I mean. Like he's just so racial calm. advocacy seminar. That was it. Racial advocacy seminar. Like, and uh, remember, family potluck on Sunday. Uh, we'll try this again next weekend. He also says he's like, remember, this is a movement, not a party. Yeah, like, um, and so little things like that, movement on a party, I'll remember. But I just remember him kind of giving up and just being so like, ha ha, sorry. So oratory, does it kind of fit the bill for that then? I think it does because the dialogue is very real. Um, there's no like crazy like villain speeches because there shouldn't be in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. But I think 
the thing that's powerful about especially Patrick Stewart's character is we don't see him a lot. Like, we get a lot of glimpses of him, especially when he's dealing with the band. Mm-hmm. It's all his voice coming through the door. Right. Because if you just see, he's a little tiny old white guy. Mm-hmm. But, he's, just, he's not a... You know, but he's on the other side of that door. He has a lot of power. He's got a little army with when him. When he's faceless. Exactly. And it's all based on the words he's saying and the way he's saying them. And yep. that's... A, they're, Star Trek and X-Men fans come for me, but mm-hmm. I think this is Patrick Stewart's best film performance. Mm-hmm. Really? That's saying a lot. He's a quite been quite a few films. Um, the I think where it falls flat, so the two Fs in the name Arkov stand for, uh, what is it, fantasy and fornication, um, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think either of those are in this movie. Would you agree? Uh, I feel this movie succeeds because it doesn't have those last two Fs. Yeah. Like, I, I, think, I think sometimes... It might have been more successful. The... F- yeah, but... Which the, is what Arkov wanted, the, but I think the, the point wouldn't have been there. winning formula for this movie is not weirdly throwing, like, a sex scene in. Mm-hmm. And they could have. They could have been, like, after they ran outside and got shot up, and then they ended back in the room, and it was Anton Yelchin and, um... Imogen Poots, they could have, yeah, like, like, fucked it out name. and, like, this might be it. Let's just act on our instincts. That would have, like, sucked the life out of the movie. And I'm glad they didn't do it. And the fact that this is such an anti-fantasy film. Yeah. Like, oh, this wow, is a yeah. movie that you fantasize about never being in. Right. Like, you're like, oh, man, I, I would love to go the rest of my life and never be in this situation. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. So that brings us to the next thing. Would you watch this again? Yeah, I've seen this yeah. movie like a bunch of times. But I watch it with the kids. Uh, I've already watched it with I was going to say, the 14-year-old, <laughs> 14-year-old has already seen it. Um, yeah, because racism is such an odd concept to him. Do you know what I mean? He, it's, he was, let me just say, he's been, as his mother, he's been raised well. Um, all right, do we have any noteworthy or Humble mentionable brag. things? Humble brag. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, I always like to talk about who gave stellar performances, and I mm-hmm. think everyone kind of gave. Yeah, really everyone did a really good job. Uh, the one person, because uh, you could sit and talk about you know Anthony Elchin or anyone else in the band, or we could talk about Patrick Stewart's insanely great performance, but and I rather American accent too. Can I might we add. give a shout out to Macon Blair? For being amazing in this movie. Yeah. And the thing about Macon Blair is, like, he kind of got his shot at fame the same time that the the film's director, Jeremy Saulnier, did. Because their previous movie, Blue Ruin, he's the star of that movie. And When it became the hit, they kind of did it together. And (laughs) Macon Blair is such a nice, unassuming, kind of quiet guy Mm -hmm. that... The director was who is his best friend was like, I love you, man, but you cannot play a Nazi. Yeah, like it just it doesn't play I, that I don't way. Buy it. So and he ends up playing. I think his name's Gabe, the guy who runs the bar, who mm-hmm. kind of manages things until Patrick Stewart shows mm-hmm. up. And the reason he got that part was he did an in-depth study of neo Nazis and got temporary neo Nazi tattoos Ugh. and to like audition and fucking. Got it. Like, so the guy from Drunk History? Wow. No, different guy. No, They okay. look alike. They look similar, but different But different, people. okay. Woo. 
worrying um, for a minute. And he's really... Well, but he's an actor. He's doing his job. And I would argue that he is the audience surrogate at times for this mm-hmm. movie. Like, Because you can see him kind of waver almost. He, at the beginning of the movie, he's so sure of like do where this, he is, then do this. white nationalism. And then by the end of the movie... He's questioning everything. He's not only is he questioning everything, when uh, Imogen Poots and Anton Yelchin kill those two neo-Nazis and... He's like cleaning. Mm-hmm. He's having cleaning. Yeah. The blood and everything up. And they climb out of the cellar mm-hmm. or the drug den or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> he sees them and then he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I, I want to go to jail. Oh, yeah, that's true. And they even like trust him to go when they head to. But he, right. yeah, because he ends they up going go to the uh, hippies the woods to get help, and then turn himself into the police. And he did. Yeah, like the idea of, I guess anyone could. You, once you go down that path, you can always turn back, but you have to atone for it. Right. Just because you're sorry doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, we're not the Jedi Order. You know. Right. You know. That's the thing that always kills me with the Star Wars movies is someone will blow up a whole galaxy and then they go, guys, my bad. I'm sorry. I was having a bad day. And everyone's like, the hug. I'm going to go, welcome <laughs> back. Such a... like, no, there are consequences to your actions. Right. Right. Like you were a party of some horrible shit and you're going to have to go to jail for it. Yeah. Some horrible shit might happen to you. But at what point, like we said earlier, are you just lost in being that monster? Like, Yeah. You have to come out of it at some point. You know what would be a really good double feature with this movie? What? American History X. Oh, this would... that Yes. Not a fun Peep-pop, double Peep-pop, Peep-pop. No, but it would be an interesting look at how hatred, especially among Caucasian males, manifests. What's always funny and interesting to me is that in my experience dealing with very racist white people, um, they're usually only a few generations here. Does it make sense? <laughs> like, they have very Irish names or very, you know, and it's like, huh. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, maybe it's just because where I grew up, everyone was kind of a, only a few generations here sort of a thing. And a lot of, okay. All right. But it's just like, oh, it's, you don't know your history. Oh. Or they, I have a theory that um, white society treats history the same way it treats the bible it just picks what it wants when it wants to so this anywho has a, this has been kind of a bummer episode can you tell that can you tell that we I, are 65 plus days into this pandemic okay what are we doing next week oh yeah wait a minute we, we got to do something what because it's this is the last oh it's the end of the month movie of the month okay so this month we have watched Let's see. Let me get my pen so I can write it I got, down. I got a list for you right here. All right. Go. Uh, we did 10 Cloverfield Lane, Cujo, okay. The Lighthouse, and Green Room. Cujo. If you had to put those in order. Okay. Here we go. In uh, <laughs> what order did you enjoy or not enjoy these movies? Okay. The movie I enjoyed the most this month has been 10 Cloverfield Lane. Right out of the gate, number one. Okay. Number one. I really like that movie. I like the performances. I liked how layered it was. It was really cool. Um, number two would be this one, Green Room. Oh, that's surprising, actually. Uh, well, it had it had a good message. I can dance to it. Uh, number three is Cujo. 
<laughs> just because it ends so abruptly. Like she hands over the kid and she's like, peace, like end scene. Uh, and then number four is Lighthouse. Okay. Can I guess what yours is? Uh, is yours one Lighthouse, two Cloverfield Lane, three Green Room, four Cujo? You are close, but not quite there. What do we got? Uh, I would say I like to start mine at four and work till okay. one. Four was Cujo for me. Not a bad movie, but definitely if I were going to rewatch any of these anytime soon, the one I would want to rewatch the least is this one. Like that was Cujo. Like is okay. Okay. It checked off our need to do something for Mother's Day, which is why he did uh, it. Three would be Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, okay. Uh, I like it a lot. I think it's a well-made movie. It just doesn't quite measure up to the other two for me. All right, and then your number two is Green Room. I would go, and this is really close. Like I argued oh my gosh. in my head a while. Whatever. Um, you love this forth. movie too much. Because I do really love Green Room a lot, and I really like The Lighthouse. But I think for me... For you. I would go Green Room, then Lighthouse. Ooh. Green Room, then two, Lighthouse, and one. Yeah, and I was right. tomorrow I could reverse <sighs> to one. But we're recording today. But, because I really like Green Room. Okay, what are we doing next week? Something magical about Lighthouse, though. So next week is, well, we'll start June. June. The month of June. And the month of Fathers. So we're going to do Fathers? Fathers Day. Yeah, we're going to do movies about dads. Okay, Uh, so what are we starting? Part two. So we are going to delve into Father's Day month with a little... A little? Gem called Frailty. Frailty. When did it come out? No, it came out in, like, I want to say 2002, Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, 2009. Yeah, I think 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Great. I don't like modern movies. They're scarier than older movies. Fine. Okay. Great. It's, it's directed by Bill Paxton. Oh, the I like Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. So, uh, rip. Okay. Two films he directed. The other one was like a tennis movie. Well, until next week. I'm Josh. And I'm Cindy. And I'm still his girlfriend. Nazi punks fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>